Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Today's lesson is from Matthew chapter 17 and was presented at a session of the Timothy Institute. The Timothy Institute meets quarterly and is a ministry of Berean Bible Church in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. For more information, see www.bereanbiblechurch.com. And so these disciples, as they're as they're uh, coming coming down from the mountain, or after they've come down from the mountain, his disciples ask him, saying, "Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come?" And Matthew 17 verse 11, Jesus answered and said unto them, "Elias truly shall first come and restore all things, but I say unto you that Elias has come already." And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Now, uh, this might be kind of confusing because Christ says, Elias will come, but Elias has already come. Okay? And he, on, on the one hand, in verse 11, he verifies and and reiterates the fact that Elijah is going to come. Elijah is going to come, just as Malachi said, uh, Elijah is going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord come. Elijah will come first and restore all things. But, he also says, Elias has come already. And you see in verse 13, it says, Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. He is the the Elijah uh, to prepare the way for the first coming of the Lord. He is the, the forerunner of Christ in his first coming. Now, at the second, second coming of Christ, the indication from Scripture seems to be that it will literally be Elijah himself that comes and is one of those two witnesses preparing the way for the second coming of Christ. And so, and so Christ here is both, he's both verifying that, that literally there is an Elijah to come. Elijah will come. But in the person of John the Baptist, Elijah has already come. And you see what the response of, of the nation of Israel was to John the Baptist as that, that uh, forerunner of Christ. Uh, he says that they knew him not and have done unto him Whatsoever they listed, they didn't. The nation did not did not uh, respond favorably to the message of John the Baptist. If they had believed John the Baptist, they would have been prepared to believe on Christ when he came after him. And so their you know their eventual rejection of Christ really begins with their rejection of the message of John the Baptist. And while certainly the ministry of John the Baptist bore great fruit among the people, the leadership of the nation. Remember, they even came out to be baptized of John. But what did John tell them? He said, bring forth fruits meet for repentance. 
uh, he, you know, they hadn't really repented. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And, you know, who, who knows what all their, all the thinking of the religious leaders was in going out to John, but it certainly wasn't because they had repented. And without that repentance, John wouldn't baptize them. They hadn't really believed the message of John, which was to repent and be baptized, not just be baptized. And, uh, they rejected that message, and so when the one that John was pointing to came on the scene, they didn't, they didn't accept him either. And, and so, uh, Elijah had come already in the person of John. They didn't know him. They did unto him whatever they listed, whatever they wanted. And then Christ says, likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. And, and so, you know, Christ is beginning here to tell his disciples about his death, you know, his, his rejection, his suffering, his death, and also his resurrection. Now, the disciples yet at this point, they still don't understand any of that. They still don't understand. Uh, anytime he starts talking about his death, they don't, they don't really understand what he's talking about. They're still looking for the kingdom to come right away. But, uh, you see, he says, that he's going to suffer, the Son of Man is going to suffer of the same people that put John to death. And he's going to suffer in the same way that John suffered. He's going to have the same the same end. Now, verse 14 then says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we... Cast him out. Now, Jesus Christ had sent out his disciples. He had granted them power, the, the same power that he had from God the Father. He granted to them. He sent them out. Go, go back to Matthew 10 and you can see where he sends them out. He tells them, Matthew 10, Verse 5, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. He gives them power there. He gives them power over devils. And yet, here's this man. He's brought his son to them. And they are unable to cast out the devil. And, uh, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, when people brought, brought uh, uh, people to him to be healed, he always heals them. You never see any time where they couldn't be healed. Um here, here you have an example. They had brought him to the disciples. The disciples couldn't heal him, couldn't cast out the devil. They bring the boy to Christ, and Christ is able to to cast out the devil. 
Now, I don't know if this had happened on other occasions. I mean, it seems here that the disciples are asking Christ, why couldn't we cast them out? It seems like maybe it was something they hadn't encountered before. Uh, but, but you see Christ's disappointment there when he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Uh, he, he talks about the lack of faith. And uh, he he heals this boy. Now, when they ask him, why could not we cast him out? Verse 20, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Now, here's the difference between these disciples and the so-called faith healers today. Uh, if, a, if a faith healer today, if somebody goes to them and they're unable to, to heal them, who do they say has a lack of faith? They say, that person who wanted to be healed and didn't get healed, you have a lack of faith. It's your fault. Jesus doesn't do that. He says to the disciples, it's your lack of faith. You didn't have the faith to heal that boy or to cast out that devil. right? Now, you'll never hear the faith healer say, I'm sorry, I just don't have enough faith to do it. right? Uh, you won't hear that. But that's where Christ says the, the blame is here. Uh, he says to the disciples, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So, he tells them it's because of their unbelief. Now, he also does does not tell them here, he doesn't tell them it's not because, or, or he doesn't tell them that it's because they don't have enough faith. When he talks about having faith of a grain of mustard seed, uh, you know, you'll, you, you'll hear this idea that, you know, if you have enough faith, sometimes people will even, even uh, misquote this passage and and they'll say it as if if you had enough faith, if you can work up enough faith, then you could say to this mountain, remove hence the yonder place. That's not what Christ says. He says if you have faith of a mustard seed. Now, if you've ever seen a mustard seed, it's not a very big thing. He doesn't say if you have lots of faith, you can say to this mountain. He says if you have a little faith, you can say to this mountain. The issue here was not that they didn't have enough faith, like they had a little bit of faith but not enough. It was they had unbelief. They had a lack of belief, a lack of faith. It's not that they didn't have enough, it's that they didn't have any in this case. Now, they had plenty other, plenty of other times where they had uh, healed and cast out devils and whatever for whatever re- reason here at this time, because of their unbelief, they couldn't cast out that devil. And so, you know, faith is not something, it's not something you you work up, right? I mean, you, when somebody tells you something, you either believe it or you don't, okay? And and here again, the point, the point here is not that you have to work up lots of faith to do great things under this program. The idea is, if you have a little bit of faith, if you have just a little bit of faith, you can tell a whole mountain to be be cast into the sea or, or uh, be removed to yonder place. Okay? And uh, the, the reason, you know, the reason that 
people take and, and misuse these passages is, first of all, they don't rightly divide the scriptures. So they they have this mindset that, you know, every promise in the book is, is mine, and so that promise must be to me. And so if I have faith, then I can I can tell this mountain to be removed. And so you go out and you tell the mountain to be removed and it doesn't happen. So then what do you got to do? You have to either say, either the Bible's wrong or... Maybe it's just I don't have enough faith. And so then you have people trying to, trying to work up faith, right? Trying to, to, and it's not even really, it's not faith in, in God so much as it is just faith in, in my ability to do something. Uh, when the reality is this isn't a promise to anybody today. There's, there's nobody today that this promise applies to. Uh, he, here's a, a thing that he is saying to the disciples, the ones specifically that he had sent out to do these miracles. This wasn't even a general promise for for all believers there at the time. Uh, this was there were some special things that he had given to those disciples to equip them to to go out and and do ministry. And he's saying, if you have a little bit of faith, you can do these great things. He told those disciples that they would do greater things than even what what he did in his earthly ministry. Okay? And and the problem, it's not a problem when somebody tries to apply something like this and it doesn't it doesn't work. It's not a problem, first of all, it's not a problem with the truthfulness of God's word, and it's not a problem with their lack of faith, except except to the degree that they're putting their faith in the wrong things in God's word. Right? They're putting their faith in promises that are intended for somebody else and, and not understanding how to apply something like that. Now, in the case of these disciples, he says regarding this, this devil that they couldn't cast out, he says, how be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, that tells you something about what had been taking place here with the disciples. If he tells them that this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting, what does that tell you about what the disciples had not been doing? They hadn't been praying and they hadn't been fasting. You see, they weren't, they weren't relying. This power that Christ gave to them was not a, was not an independent power. It wasn't their power. It's not like he empowered Peter. Okay, Peter, now you have Peter's power to go out and cast out devils and heal the sick and cleanse lepers. But it was, it was his power, and actually even Christ as, you know, in his humanity and as the Son of God, he said he had no power but from the Father. And, and so what they were doing in exercising this power is that they were being a channel for God's power. But you can't do that if, if you're not in, in communion, in fellowship with God, right? And so the, you know, the, what, what's going on here is maybe very similar to the kind of experience that, that Peter had when he's out on, on the water and he jumps out of the ship and as long as he has his focus on Christ, he's able to, to walk there on the water and as soon as he takes his focus off, what happens? He starts to sink into the waves because it wasn't Peter's power, it was Christ's power. And here the, the disciples as time goes on, they're they're taking some of their focus off of Christ and some of the 
power that they've had isn't isn't uh, operating effectively. Now remember what Christ is doing. He is preparing them to operate in His absence. And this this event here serves as a reminder to them. I mean, I mean here. Now, maybe some of them had been out of his presence for a short time. He took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. He wasn't there with them. Uh, and it's not always clear how much time has passed between these different accounts. But, you know, the disciples weren't always with Christ in his earthly ministry. Obviously, when this man had first brought his son to the disciples, Jesus wasn't with them, right? They were there independently on their own. But... Because they weren't in prayer and fasting, because they weren't relying on the power of God and, and weren't experiencing that close fellowship with God, the power of God wasn't wasn't uh, evident in them. It wasn't that God wasn't powerful enough. It's that they they were not being an effective channel of that power. Now that's a that's an important thing for us all to keep in mind. Now certainly God's power is evident in different ways today. Today, the power of God is, is most evident in the preaching of the gospel. It's evident in the, the sanctification of believers, right? But for, for a, a preacher or a teacher or somebody who's teaching God's word to others, the only way to have, to have power in that preaching and teaching is for that man to be in prayer, that man to be in fellowship with God. It's not some, some, you know, independent power that God has granted to some man just to be a to be a good speaker and and uh that's what happens you know in the in the mega churches and the worldly churches is you have somebody who has some great speaking ability and they build some big following but there's no power of God in that where's the power of God the power of God is as as these earthen vessels are just yielded to his power and it Again, it's through the, the power of preaching today that God is, is, uh, saving those that, that believe the gospel. You know, you know what fasting is in the Bible. Fasting is not like some religious act that you do, um, to prove how tough you are or, or whatever, but it's to, to be in a state where you're relying on God so fully that you can put aside the needs of the flesh. Even, even that, Need that you have several times a day to eat, and uh, that that prayer and fasting that he talks about there uh, is something to put put the focus back on God, put the focus on on who He is and His power. And uh, so this is really a rebuke here to to uh, the disciples to explain why they weren't able in this case. Now, if if that was important for them, even when you know, when when Jesus is here on earth with them, imagine in his extended absence how important that would be for them. And and again, by indirect application uh, for us today to be experiencing that close fellowship and, and communion with God if we expect to, to be involved in the things of God and, and see the power of God. Uh, verse 22 Perhaps to, to drive home the point, it says, While they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. 
So here he says, this kind goeth not out by, by prayer and fasting. And at least in, in Matthew's account, the very next thing he says to them is, I'm not always going to be with you. In fact, I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. Men are going to kill the Son of Man. And the third day he'll be raised again. And, and the end of verse 23 says they were exceeding sorry. Now, um, the reason they're sorry there, if we compare some of the other gospel accounts, go over to Luke chapter 9 and just, just uh, notice Luke's account to give you a little bit better picture of what the mindset of these disciples was here at this time. Luke chapter 9. And uh, you, you can see that Luke 9 is the same context here as Matthew 17. Uh, for instance, if you look at Luke 9.27, there he says, I tell you of the truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And uh, verse 28 begins to talk about the transfiguration. Uh, you have verse 37, the... Um, the man brings his his uh, child to Christ, and verse forty four would be the the equivalent of what we just read in Matthew seventeen. Uh, verse forty four of Luke nine says, "Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men." And verse forty five it says, "But they understood not this saying." And it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Now, even the disciples, you see, have some things here that are hid from them. Now, we've talked about some mysteries being made known to them, but you see there's things hid from them. And, and you see this often when Christ talks in his earthly ministry about his, his coming death and burial and resurrection, is you see... It says they didn't understand it, first of all. So when he says he's going to be delivered into the hands of men, they don't, they don't understand what he's talking about. Uh, you know, they've been preaching a gospel for some time by, you know, by the time we get to this point. They've been preaching a gospel, but it's not a gospel about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because anytime he talks about his death, burial, and resurrection, they don't know what he's talking about. They've been preaching good news of a kingdom. They've been saying the kingdom is at hand. That's, that's what they've been preaching. When he talks about his, his betrayal, his death, his, his resurrection, you see, they understood not this saying, and it says it was hid from them. This is, this is more than just them. It wasn't in God's plan for them to understand these things at this point. It's yet hid from them. It hasn't been revealed to them yet. Christ is telling them about it, but it, but they don't understand it. They don't understand it. It was hid from them that they perceived it not. And not only that, it says they feared to ask him of that saying. They don't, they don't even want to ask him about it. They don't even want to know anything more about it. A lot of these other times we see them asking him, asking him for more information. When he talks about his death, they don't want to know anything more. They just, they just let that rest. When it says they're sorry, it's not that they believe he's going to die and so they're sorry because he's going to die. They're sorry because they just they don't they don't know what to do with that. They don't know what any of that means. They don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to them. Um, and so 
And so they just they just put it out of their mind and go on. Uh, again, you you see, even after he begins to tell them about his death, they're still going on like the kingdom's going to come pretty soon, right? And uh, and they go on like that. Even you know, even you think about it in the in the period between his death and his resurrection, uh, when he talks with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's almost like they're ready just to just to hang it up and go home. They say we we thought he was we thought he was the Messiah, and they say that in the past tense. They don't say we still think he's the Messiah. They say we thought we thought he was, because uh, they're still going on like the kingdom should come. And when he dies, they don't go back and think about all these times he had told them. It's not until after his resurrection that they do that. But when he dies, they they still don't understand it. They still don't get it. Um, because you know, as many times as he would tell them about his death, they would just they would just set that aside. Um, if we go back to our text there in in Matthew 17, uh, the the chapter ends there with uh, an account of how uh, there's a, a a tribute to be paid. And we can just read the verses, verse 24. When they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. And uh, what, what you see here is you see Christ, you see him always providing for the disciples, right? Teaching them that they can trust him to provide. But then you see him over and over again, preparing them for the day when he's he's not going to be there, because it's it's easy for them to trust him. It's easy for them to trust him when they're up on the mountaintop and they see him transfigured, right? It's easy for them to trust him when they see him there speaking with with uh, Moses and Elijah. It's easy for them to trust him when they see him doing these these miracles and and healings and that kind of thing. But what's coming is they're going to have to trust him when he's not there with them. They're going to have to trust him when they're going through persecution, when they're going through tribulation. They're going to have to trust him when it's not always evident that he's providing. And so, so again, you see, there's many of these situations where Christ, I mean, it's a, it's a foregone conclusion that the disciples, being men, would fail over and over and over again. You see, that's what you see from the disciples all the way through uh, these gospels, is you see them fail over and over and over again, and you see Christ come through and succeed and, and provide over and over and over again. And and that's a that's a necessary lesson for them. It's a necessary lesson for us to that that they can't put their trust in themselves. They can't put even if they've been granted power to do miracles, they can't put their trust in themselves. They have to live in a constant reliance on the provision of Christ, a constant reliance on His power.
It's easy to look back at them and see their faults. Any of us would have been in those same faults under the same circumstances, if not worse. And we have to learn the same lesson. That's really much of what the process of sanctification is. is It's a, a process of learning to trust Christ, learning to rely on the power of God and forsake our own power and, and just mortify our, our members which are on the earth. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that as you taught these disciples to rely upon you, that we likewise would learn that lesson, that we would rely on you um, in, in the hard times and the good times, that we would rely on you for the, the big things and the little things, and that we would rely on you with an understanding of uh, your word and, and the right division of it, that we wouldn't misapply uh, things from your word and, and be led just into confusion and foolishness, but uh, that we would we would fully stand upon uh, the things that you provided to us by your grace, that we would be faithful in making them known to others, and that in all those things the excellency of the power would be of you and not of us. We thank you in Christ's name. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.